Good afternoon, Augusta and surrounding areas. Welcome to another edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. I am Janice Allen Jackson of Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, and our topic for today relates to the impact the pandemic has had on our ability to vote. As you know, Georgia was supposed to go to the polls on March 24th to vote in the presidential preference primary. And here in the CSRA, we were also to vote on the T-SPLOST referendum. However, after Governor Kemp declared a state of emergency on March 14th, Secretary of State Brad Rastenperger postponed elections until May 19th, which is when our local elections were also supposed to take place. At the same time, or immediately thereafter, 13 other states and one territory also postponed their primaries because of the coronavirus pandemic. Those states were Alaska, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Wyoming, and Puerto Rico. Several states are moving to a system in which their residents will vote entirely by mail. Georgia, on the other hand, will send absentee ballot applications to all active voters. The application will be pre-populated with voter data, but have a barcode for the counties to quickly look up and process them. The signature verification process is still in place for security purposes. And upon verification, each day the Secretary of State's office will forward the list of requests to a third-party vendor who will mail the absentee ballots to us. Georgia state law actually requires people to have the ability to vote in person, which is different from numerous other states, such as Washington, which has conducted elections by mail for many years. So, who makes all of these decisions for us? The Speaker of the Georgia House of Representatives, David Ralston, requested the Georgia Secretary of State to further postpone elections into June. He stated that his concerns were the health and safety of Georgians in polling places and what role the legislative branch will play in making decisions about the election day. Note, even the Speaker of the House had to make such a request because the Secretary of State has been duly elected by Georgia voters to carry out this responsibility. The Georgia Secretary of State registers voters, tracks annual corporate filings, grants professional licenses, and oversees the state securities market. These sound like mundane, bureaucratic-type duties until something out of the ordinary happens, just like what we've seen most recently with COVID-19. Now, Mr. Raffsenperger has to interpret state law exercise his judgment, and evaluate other constraints that he's facing to decide when the elections will indeed take place. After consultation with both major political parties, he has determined that moving the election further may hurt their representation at respective party conventions. He has also arrived at the conclusion that there must be an election because the presidential preference primary and the 43 local elections being held at the same time have already been extended the maximum the law allows and cannot be extended again.
So you ask, how does this affect us as voters? The Secretary of State has directed his staff to send absentee ballot applications and note, I said applications, not the actual ballots, to all active voters. We will have to complete the applications to indeed get an absentee ballot. Absentee ballots may only be sent to the individual who requested it, and the only person who can complete, handle, or return that ballot is the individual to whom it was sent, or a family member who lives in the same household. As for the requirement to vote in person, counties must set up and run early and election day polling locations, which could be challenging given the social distancing requirements. As of right now, we know those requirements are in place until the end of April, but who knows, given our circumstances at that time, the requirement for social distancing could be further extended uh, into May or Quite frankly, who knows how much longer. But right now, because that's the best information we have to work with, the Georgia Secretary of State's office is planning to have the election on May 19th as planned. In terms of questions about the process, uh, I have had some friends on Facebook and others just in general conversation uh, speculate that there could be some plan that we don't yet know of, which could result in elections being further delayed, not and not merely just the local and state elections that we're speaking of here in Georgia, but on a national level. The question's been posed as to whether there could be any scenario in which the federal election for president specifically and congressional elections could also be postponed due to the fact of uh, the coronavirus uh, emergency situation that we've been placed in. So I chose today to address some of those questions as well. The uh, first question, could the general election be postponed or canceled? You have to realize that this date was set by federal law and has been fixed since 1845. It would require legislation be enacted by Congress, signed by the president, and then even after all of those things happen, it could be subject to a court challenge. So the chances of the general election being postponed or canceled uh, seem minimal. Obviously, anything could happen, uh, but that would require an agreement among both houses of Congress as well as the president. And then um, we would in anticipate that there would be some court challenges. So those court challenges would also have to be uh, survived in order to change the election date. Given all of that, uh, no guarantees, but pretty uh, safe bet that the elections would go on in November as planned. The other thing to factor in is that by law, uh, Congress and the president have to be uh, sworn in by specified dates. Uh, and the likelihood of uh, moving an election, you could move it maybe enough to still make those dates, uh, but it would not be a substantial change in the election dates. So while possible, uh, certainly it would require a change in federal law, which would prove to be difficult. Uh, literally an act of Congress would have to make that happen. Uh, next question to consider, can the president himself postpone or cancel an election via an executive order? 
The answer to that question is a definitive no. Uh, while we look at some states, uh, Louisiana, for instance, the governor of that state had the authority to move uh, their primary, presidential mm -hmm. primary elections. And the uh, secretary of state in that state made the decision to move the election. Uh, the governor did proceed with moving it. However, in this case, the president of the United States, with all the powers that he possesses, would not have the power via executive order to postpone or cancel an election. So please keep that in mind. Next question, who really controls the procedures for voting? Well, as you can tell, based upon the example I gave with Louisiana, as well as the example set by our Secretary of State here in Georgia, um, the states control procedures for voting. That's one of the things when you talk about federalism in our country, the federal government has some power, state governments have some powers, and one of the powers that is controlled at the state level is uh, setting up procedures and dates for voting. So given that situation, uh, the federal government has very little say so in how uh, or when elections take place in this country, uh, aside from the federal elections, which again requires not just the president, but the Congress as well. Uh, next, you may ask, have American elections ever been moved in the past? Uh, the answer to that question is yes. Uh, but the movement of elections has taken place only at the state and local levels. For example, the September 11, 2001 terrorist attack was actually an election day in New York City for some municipal post. Uh, obviously, with uh, all of the turmoil that was created by that terrorist attack, uh, they did decide to postpone those elections. There was another example in which elections were postponed. That was in the state of Florida uh, when those elections were de delayed because of Hurricane Irma uh, back in 2017. So what are the things that our Georgia Secretary of State had to consider when making a decision about how far those elections could be moved? Uh, first, uh, the legal authority granted to him from OCGA 21-2-50, that's the official code of Georgia, is that he could only postpone the election for 45 days or less. So on March 14th, after consulting with the Republican and Democratic parties whose primaries there were, he announced postponement of the March 24th election and moved it to the already scheduled general primary election day set for May 19th. That was a decision that he felt like was done to protect Georgia voters, poll workers, and their families. Other considerations for him have to do with the UOCAVA. Uh, if you've never heard of that, that means you probably have not seen an application for an absentee ballot. Uh, the last time I saw such an application, I took a look at it and I wondered to myself, what in the world is that? That stands for Uniform and Overseas Citizen Absentee Voting Act. That is the act that covers the right to vote 
for military persons and others who are overseas, citizens who are overseas um, while they're doing uh, the work of the country. By law, they have to have ballots distributed 49 to 45 days prior to the November 3rd general election date, which means in order to make that happen, our ballots would need to be being built during the third week of August. And that runs against the primary date or runoff date, excuse me. Let's say if the general primary was moved to June 23rd, that means the runoff election would have to be moved to August 25th. Uh, which means that those ballots for those under the Uniform and Overseas Citizen Absentee Voting Act uh, would have to have their ballots start being built during the third week of August, which is too late if the runoff itself is in the fourth week of August. So that gives you an idea of some of the constraints that the Secretary of State is up against in terms of making decisions and complying with the law in a way that allows him to do everything he needs to do to make sure that the various laws and acts have been complied with. Also, in terms of considerations for the Secretary of State's office is uh, dealing with poll workers uh, since we have to, by state law, have to have the ability to vote in person. Uh, we know uh, if you go to the average polling place, you look at who's working there. Uh, most of the folks who work in there are older residents of our community. Uh, in Georgia, they said the average age of volunteers at the polling places is estimated to be approximately 70 years of age, which, of course, falls into the high risk category for COVID-19. So in order to mitigate this concern, the Secretary of State's office is providing counties with additional resources to handle the increased interest in absentee voting while simultaneously helping them cope with the increased difficulties of in-person voting due to social distancing and minimizing the risk to poll workers and in-person voters. Some of the steps that they've taken include uh, providing uh, additional sanitizer, uh, and um, the ability or uh, facilitating the ability of uh, the local counties to uh, do cleaning and sanitation of the polling locations. Uh, we know, again, that that's challenging, but beginning in February, the Secretary of State's office began ordering disinfecting wipes and sprays to provide to counties to use in those polling locations. So, as you can tell, uh, COVID-19 has presented a series of difficulties to all of us. Uh, at the end of last week's show, I talked about uh, how, ch how much this has changed the world for us uh, and some of the strategies that we could use as coping mechanisms during this time. Uh, while we're at home thinking about those things, our leaders at the uh, local and state level in particular have these very difficult issues to grapple with. Um, I, and when I started this show, my focus was pointing out the significance and the importance of our local and state governments. And I think this is an excellent example of when we uh, think about an office like Secretary of State. And, you know, we generally probably go into the ballot box, don't give it a whole lot of thought, look at the names and decide, hey, let's pick one. Uh, many times we'll pick truthfully based upon political party affiliation. 
um, just thinking that, uh, you know, it's just some work that has to be done. It'll probably get done in a fairly competent fashion, regardless of who is in place. Uh, but we look at this and we realize those offices uh, bear huge significance. Uh, we look at some of the things that happened within the last uh, few years, the last election for governor, in fact, and uh, the implications of moving individuals from the voter rolls uh, in a way that uh, was uh, unprecedented almost in terms of how many people were moved at one time. Uh, we look at those things and we realize that those offices that we consider to be down ballot offices, so to speak, uh, have huge implications and ramifications for our day-to-day -day lives and how we exercise what we have come to believe is our basic right uh, to vote, uh, how we do it, when we do it, who gets to do it. Uh, and it speaks also to the vigilance that we have to exercise as uh, voters. Uh, for instance, we think about the notion that we will receive applications for an absentee ballot. Uh, that's a piece of mail that we're going to have to take very seriously. Uh, just like we're encouraging people with the census forms, as soon as you get it, to open that envelope and go ahead and uh, complete that form and uh, either mail it back in, call by phone, or do the online uh, completion of the form. In the same way, when we get those applications for absentee ballots, we should fill those out without delay. The other thing we have to be careful of is because it says it's going to active voters, we need to make sure that we are indeed active. Uh, check the rolls. It's possible to go through your local county office to check uh, the voter rolls to make sure that you are indeed considered an active voter. And of course, it's better to do that early rather than late. So uh, please keep all these things in mind as you go forward also like us to keep an open mind about how some other uh, states do their business with this. As I uh, did some research in the New York Times, there was an article on March 30th, and I used to be one of those people who didn't read many out-of-town newspapers. Now I've gotten to the point where uh, I found it almost a necessity to do so uh, because uh, there's so much information out there that better prepares us. As I looked at this article, it talked about the 14 states that have postponed their primaries because of coronavirus. Uh, and I made that list to you earlier. But I also uh, want to call your attention to the fact that uh, the um, uh, several of these states, as I mentioned, are now voting entirely by mail. Uh, those include Alaska. Their uh, date is April 10th, but they're not going to be bothered in particular by the social distancing requirements because they're voting entirely by mail. Uh, Wyoming is now voting entirely by mail. Uh, so is uh, Hawaii. So there are several states that have chosen uh, this method, as I indicated, in some states that was in place already. Uh, but the notion that you can do it all by mail, um, much like we're doing most of our lives in, in a different way in terms of electronic learning, uh, electronic meetings, video conferences, use mm -hmm. of social media, uh, given the technology that is present for us today, uh, there are ways to do things uh, in a better way, a healthier way, a safer way in order to uh, achieve the best outcomes and healthiest outcomes for uh, residents of our community. So uh, as always, please keep your eyes and ears open 
uh, as we move through this election process. Uh, I will certainly be watching to see if the state of Georgia decides to make any further changes uh, with this process. But uh, as I've explained today, this is the best information we have right now. Uh, earlier, I mentioned the census process. Uh, uh, if you uh, have been looking at your mailboxes, uh, those forms were mailed to us between March 12th and March 20th. So I think just about everybody has those now. Uh, and let's be careful about that. Everybody who has a street address has those now. I just learned uh, earlier today that if you have a rural route address, you may not have it now and it may not be coming. So uh, those of us who are working to uh, ensure a full count, total count, complete count, whatever you want to call it, uh, one of the areas that we're now emphasizing is the need to address those individuals who are living on rural routes because as of right now, their uh, applications have not been delivered. Their census forms have not been delivered to them. Uh, so we're going to have to make sure that uh, they are aware, made aware of that fact, um, that they know that they can call getting the phone numbers to them or they can go online to make sure that those forms are completed in a timely fashion. And just as I spoke of the elections being postponed, we're also seeing postponements with the census process. The end of the self-response period was supposed to be the end of July. Uh, that has now been extended for a two-week period because of the difficulty in uh, getting information out, getting census workers out because of our COVID-19 uh, restrictions. Uh, we know that everybody is being asked to shelter in place to the best extent possible, to work from home from the best, uh, best extent possible. And what that has meant is that the Census Bureau had planned to hire about half a million folks that they now uh, are delayed in hiring. They were going to go through a fingerprinting process and that's not considered a safe practice uh, given uh, possible risk. Uh, with doing that. So they have delayed that, uh, which essentially means that the Census Bureau is not able to fully enact the plan that they had in place. So they're going back to regroup. Uh, likewise, the various community organizations, faith-based organizations, nonprofit organizations that are working on ensuring a full count of residents in uh, the United States have all had to uh, uh, rethink their strategies and build those around, around various electronic means. Uh, also want you to know that Wednesday, April 1st is the official census day. Um, we're supposed to be counting as of that day. So um, if you have not completed your forms already, uh, please move forward to do that as of tomorrow because that is the exact day. Uh, of course, uh, eventually our census enumerators hopefully will be able to go out. Uh, we don't know based upon what is happening with the coronavirus. Uh, but right now they've just delayed the process for doing that. Um, they also have delayed certain things such as the institutional counting. Uh, for those of us who have uh, children or relatives who were 
in uh, dormitories on college campuses or had been living in dormitories. Now, of course, they're all at home, too. But if you uh, if those uh, college students were living in dormitories, those colleges and universities are still responsible for counting those individuals and getting that information into the Census Bureau. So uh, lots of changes, things that some things are trying to stay the same. Some things are changing a lot uh, as a result of this. Uh, but we are just rolling with the punches. And again, it's best to stay informed, get informed and stay informed. Uh, as the news changes and their updates with the various regulations and procedures. Um, as we uh, think about what we're going to discuss for next week's show, uh, I am uh, looking at some of the other ways in which our lives have changed at the local and state levels talking about elections this week. Next week, we're going to talk some about schools. Uh, I'd like to have um, representatives of our school system sort of come in and talk about this whole distance learning experiment and how that's going uh, for us. Uh, I know it's made a huge difference for people who are at uh, the college level. Uh, and it's probably a huge disruption for those who have students at the elementary level. Uh, but uh, it's changes that we have had to make. So we want to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of that uh, as we uh, move forward in the age of the coronavirus. As always, um, before I close, I always uh, ask people to reach out to me via my website. That is Janice. AllenJackson.Weebly.com. Uh, that website lists uh, my bio, obviously, um, some various services that I provided uh, through my consulting firm. Uh, and we have a contact us page there. You're welcome to uh, send any feedback about the show, uh, any particular topics that you'd like to request, suggestions for guests, as well as sponsorship opportunities. So please take the time to go to JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com to learn more about uh, my firm and the consulting services that we provide. Uh, always, we thank WKZK for being our partner in broadcasting our show. Uh, this uh, has provided us with a great forum, hopefully for you to learn more about uh, your local government and what they are doing for you. Uh, as I sign off, as always, I lean heavily on one of my favorite scriptures. It is from 2 Timothy verse chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I have always loved this scripture. Um, it is one that reminds us that we are not here to be weak. We are here to exercise control over the circumstances that we can. Uh, God uh, gives us the power via the Holy Spirit in order to uh, take some control and feel like and believe and act with great confidence. So, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, 
and offering you wisdom for decision making to make sure that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. as we talk further about the impact that the coronavirus has had on our lives uh, next week from the education perspective. And we'd love for you to be here. We'd love for you to listen to us on SoundCloud. If you go there, all of our shows are listed there, as well as the audio for all of our shows is also on my website. There's a tab there for Local Matters. Next Tuesday, as I next, excuse me, next Wednesday, please tune in WKZK.net. 1600 AM, 103.7 FM at 1.30 PM because local does indeed matter.